The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's Friday. It's Friday. And this is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. Yes! It's always great to be talking to you on Friday. My favorite day of the week because it's right before the weekend, which doesn't really mean as much for me anymore because I remember when you're a kid, you go to school, Friday comes up and you get the weekend off, or when you're working nine to five during the day, uh, weekends mean a lot. But for me, I really work kind of all different times. But Friday's just a fun day. Right. I mean, it's a fun it's a fun day. Thank God it's Friday is the saying. And thank God you're listening to the remedy for boredom right here. This is the People's Podcast. Part two of my conversation with Rob Van Dam is coming up. We're going to talk about some pretty uh, cool subjects today. Rob is a big component for the legalization of weed, of marijuana And he goes off. I wanted to get him on to talk about that. And he knows everything. Anybody who thinks he's kind of just a laid back kind of, what's up, dude? He knows a lot of stuff about the legalization of Mary Jane. We're going to talk about all that. I was reading something the other day about Kurt Cobain's death. I guess it was just the anniversary, uh, maybe a month ago or so, of his his demise. Kurt died at 27 years old. He became part of what they call the 27 Club. Now, what exactly is the 27 Club? The 27 Club is a a list of rock stars, of musicians, that died on their 27th birthday. Now, this kind of... And there's there's a lot of them. I mean, there's uh, Kurt Cobain, as we said, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix... Brian Jones from the Stones, all of them died at 27. Amy Winehouse passes away at 27. So it kind of is like to become this urban myth, this urban legend about the rock stars that died at a certain age. And apparently it all started with Robert Johnson. Now, uh, Robert Johnson, kind of an old blues guy, going down to the crossroads. Have you ever heard that song by Cream or Rush did it? But the uh, idea is... He had a very shadowy, poorly documented life where they didn't really know a lot about Robert Johnson, just that he wrote 
all of these amazing songs that are covered over and over and over again to this day. And no one really knows how he got to be so famous. But the rumor is that he went down to the crossroads and met up with Satan. Hmm? Satan. And Satan made him uh, a deal. And he sold his soul to the devil to gain success. Not that he had a lot of success during his actual life, but he, he, he went from like being kind of a poor juke joint uh, guitar player to being you know one of the most famous of all time. But he also died at 27 year old, 27 years old. So it's kind of an interesting story where, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm not going to believe that the devil, um, you know, sold him his soul. But if you ever heard of the devil went down to Georgia, like that whole thing, if you've ever seen the movie Crossroads where it was like Ralph Macchio versus the devil playing guitar and the devil's actually Steve Vai. But he had like a guitar off with the devil and then the devil gave him the, the guitar back to Robert Johnson and gave him mastery of the instrument to be able to write all these songs. And that's uh, the kind of the deal with the devil that he made. So it makes you wonder, like, you know, the fact that he did it and then all these other amazing musicians also dying at 27. It's like, did they sell their souls to the devil? Like all kind of dying under weird circumstances, like Brian Jones. No one really knows how he died. He kind of died, uh, like drowned at the bottom of a pool or something, maybe kind of. But... Um, you know, Jimi Hendrix, the drug overdose, and Janis Joplin, drug overdose, but all these people, Morrison, you know, but it seems just kind of a really weird coincidence. And then the Kurt Cobain thing was the, the, the kind of the, the myth behind his death is that uh, he was a big fan of Robert Johnson. And of course, all this is hearsay, but if you're into this sort of thing, and that he wanted to kind of die at 27 to be a part of the 27 Club. And after doing some research, I found out that Amy Winehouse was petrified about dying and being a part of the 27 Club, and she did as well. So there's a lot of like really interesting things about it and very mysterious type things. And that's kind of the, the cool thing about rock and roll is there's all like the urban myths of rock and roll. I remember the other one is that Paul is dead. You know, that the Paul McCartney apparently in 1968 got into a car crash and died. And because he died, um, they had to get a replacement for him and continue on uh, as the Beatles with another Paul McCartney. We talked about this briefly when when, when the uh, Fab Three was on. But check out some of the clues. And I, like I said, I think a lot of times that, that these clues were coincidences. I also think that maybe the Beatles made these clues uh, happen because they were so almost bored because they were so such geniuses. And just making amazing music wasn't quite enough for them. They also kind of, I think, kind of took this Paul is Dead ball and ran with it, okay? And kind of made these clues up just because they knew people were getting into it. So, um, you know, they, they, they had kind of the, the, the backwards masking. And, you know, the, the, when you listen to Strawberry Fields Forever at the very end, it kind of fades out and you hear this uh, this kind of... I buried Paul. And if you play it, it kind of does sound like somebody saying, I buried Paul. But Lennon said that it was, uh, he was saying cranberry sauce. Okay. So, I mean, that's what I mean. Like, just so many things like that. I mean, also the Abbey Road cover, if you look at it, they, they said that it symbolized a funeral procession, that John Lennon was all dressed in white. He was the priest, the preacher, the heavenly figure. Ringo Starr was dressed in black, so he was the undertaker or, or one of the mourners at the funeral. 
George Harrison was wearing denim jeans, so he was like the grave digger. He was wearing all denim, the Canadian tuxedo. And McCartney was barefoot and out of step with the other members of the band, so he symbolized the corpse of McCartney. And if you look behind uh, on Abbey Road, there's a Volkswagen that says 28 if on its license plate. And the idea being that if Paul McCartney was still alive, he would have been 28 years old. Right, so there's a lot of those type of like really weird sort of things, and like Sergeant Pepper, uh, McCartney's got his back to the to the picture. Like there's the three guys, and McCartney's back is showing in the band photo. So you know, and then uh, I am the Walrus. Uh, he's wearing a mask, and the other guys aren't. Or uh, in Magical Mystery Tour, your mother should know they're all wearing red roses. He's wearing a black rose. So I mean, a lot of that is like. You can't tell me that they didn't plan some of that stuff, just kind of messing with people and making a joke about it. But still, I mean, you never know. Did Paul die? I think he probably didn't. But I just love that that 28 if on the Volkswagen license plate behind him. Do you have your own theories and thoughts about is Paul dead or about the 27 Club? Do you know any other musicians that um, were in that? I mean, I could go through the whole list. But I don't really know a lot of them. But they're obviously the famous ones, the uh, the, the uh, you know the Hall of Famers. There's there's plenty of them. So rock and roll, very strange. Was there some chicanery going on? Was Satan involved in some of these uh, some of these uh, you know stories here? Another one that I just read at uh, the Twenty Seven Club is Brian um, Ottoson of American Head Charge. The reason why I know that one is because we did a festival with American Head Charge and Fozzie. And something happened where somebody threw something on stage and the bass player from American Head Charge, I believe this guy who died in the 27 Club, threw a bottle back out into the crowd, hit this like innocent bystander girl in the head and took her out. And it turns out she was there to see Fozzie. She was a big Fozzie fan. So we brought her backstage and she was really messed up. They had to take her to the hospital. So, um, you know, we gave her some some t-shirts and just trying to make her feel as comfortable as possible. She was bleeding everywhere. I mean, she got hit in the head with a, with a freaking bottle, like not cool. So I went into the dressing room of American head charge. And I said, listen, you are going to go apologize to this girl now. And they're like, yeah, we'll go when we're ready. I'm like, no, you're going right now. And this guy had a, one of those bull rings in the middle of his nose, you know, and, and just, you know, the, the, the one that's kind of right in the, in the septum or whatever you call it, right, right in the cartilage, like a mad bull would have. And he's like, oh, we'll go. And I'm like, no, no, no. You're going to go apologize to him right now. And if you don't go by the time I count to 10, the first thing I'm doing is ripping that stupid nose ring out of your nose. And if you don't think I'm going to do it, then just wait until 10. And you're going to pay us money for the merch that we gave her. And so uh, the guy kind of sat there. I started counting one, two, three. And he got up. Uh, he's like, gave, uh, get the tour manager. You got, you got 50 bucks. Gave me 50 bucks. And then went and apologized to the girl. Uh, rather than getting the nose ring ripped out. And then apparently he went and died. So he's part of the 27 Club, but at least in the afterlife, he has a ring in his nose that was not pulled out. So um, sorry to hear about American Head Charge, Brian Ottison, but he was uh, not cool that day. So there you go. That's my history lesson for the day. Talk is Jericho, rock and roll history. Part two of my conversation with Rob Van Dam is coming up. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome back. Still on the line, we got Rob Van Dam for the last 48 hours, been waiting in his house, sitting diligently, and uh, it's good to have you, That's man. That's the way I said it, yo. <laughs> you said you would. Hey, man, uh, we were talking before about, about all your time in ECW. What was the final uh, uh, straw for you to leave e- ECW and, and come to the WWE? Um, well, they, w- ECW was sinking. It was, I knew for sure that they were going down hard. and It was, it was a, a, collect, uh, a growing amount of money that was owed to me. Um, that finally uh, weighed so much that it broke the camel's back. I actually uh, was making good money there. I had a uh, a good deal where I was getting paid to wrestle, but I wasn't getting pay per view. Uh, you know, and any bonuses. bonuses. I wasn't yeah. getting any royalties for the action figures or shirts or any of that, which was part of my deal. And that hit, grew to such a number, and I knew they only had a couple shows left, if that. Actually, I don't know. When, I don't remember how long I was gone because I left and then I came back uh, for the, the final pay-per-view at Hammerstein Ballroom. And then I think they did only one show in St. Louis after that. Well, so yeah, I don't remember cause... how long I was gone for. That was in, uh, I think that was in 2001. I don't think I was gone that long in between. It was a noticeable amount of time, but, um, you know, whatever. It was, it, was, it was really, it was over the money and, and I knew that they were going down anyway. Yeah, it was kind of time to go. Uh, but the cool thing was, though, is when you came to the WWE, it, that kind of was the catalyst to start the whole invasion uh, angle with ECW and WCW. Uh, you came in with a pretty big, uh, pretty big push right off the bat into the WWE. Yeah, I had no idea what they were going to do. Like, I, I didn't really want to go to WWE. I looked at it artistically as selling out. You know what I mean? I mean, I watched their their shows and I and I saw, you know, like we we were nobody asked us in ECW. Do you guys ever you really you guys ever really hit each other? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Balls Mahoney would take that chair and go crack and just wrap <laughs> it around. And yes, I got a concussion from every single one of those. Didn't know about the long term damage. Uh, possibilities back then that's new but you know and then i'd watch their product and i was like man you know i just want ecw to really make it i don't want to have to go there so when i left i took a while before i came in i did black mask 2 a movie in thailand uh maybe some things out here i don't know maybe i, I don't remember if i was doing indie i don't think i was doing indies i've never i did one i think for big ben in st louis but, uh, <laughs> okay. anyway um when i when when and paul was there and I knew, like, that had to, the right. way that we knew Paul, I knew that he, he must have really had to, it must have humbled him, let me mm-hmm. just put it that way, to be there commentating on WWE after he swore to us for our whole existence that we were the anti-WWE. And I was like, wow, you know, there's, there's nowhere else to go. WCW, it's been bought. There's no more ECW. There's, there's only one company right now if you want to be... Uh, a pro wrestler here in the United States and want to make a career out of it, um, you know, and be at that level. There's absolutely only one company. So when I was ready, and, and, and Paul, when I talked to him, I mean, he wasn't pressuring me at all. Mm-hmm. When I finally uh, made the call, because I don't think we had texts back then, <laughs> I said, uh, I said uh, hey, I'm ready to talk to someone. I'll come in. Fine, great. I'll set it up. Boom, boom, boom. You know, and uh, right. I had no idea, though, till 
that first night in Atlanta, I didn't know about the invasion angle. I didn't know that I was there to represent ECW. So I really thought that I had compromised something inside of me by going there. And I'm like, okay, let's see what they're going to call me. It's going to, you know, right. uh, Batman and, and Robin Van Dam. You know, <laughs> what are they going to do? What, there's no telling, you know. And I'm right. But I'm, you know, here I want to. I'm ready to. You know, try try my hardest to you know play their game, and then bam, there's Tommy Dreamer. I'm like, Tommy, what are you doing here? He goes, Yeah, bro, threw me a T-shirt, an ECW T-shirt, and and I I was so happy, so happy because otherwise, you know, what WWE used to do to people was basically erase their past, take their whole career, like someone like Steve Kern, who's been wrestling forever and ever, and trained, you know, a whole a couple generations of guys and then all of a sudden boom here's this guy skinner from the swamp yes you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and totally I was so happy to to know that they weren't going to erase all my past efforts but that it was actually going to add depth to everything that i've done since day one and so i couldn't have been happier do you remember who you attacked that first night you and tommy came in the ring do you remember who you attacked no, I, I think this might have been when i did the van terminator on kane uh, it was kane and me Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've seen pictures, and I remember the Van Terminator. You know, it was, I remember when I jumped, I was like, oh, man, I got adjusted these ropes. I should have got up here earlier in the day and stood on the ropes. You know, why didn't I do that? Because uh, I didn't get quite the spring off it. Was, uh, what was the difference in the ropes? Well, you know, I mean, uh, ECW used cable. Ah. ECW used nylon ropes. ECW's ring's about two feet shorter. That's right. Uh, it's 18 feet, and I think WWE's was 20. Um, yes, yeah, 20, yeah. Okay, so it's a little, there's some difference, and, and when it comes to trying to clear the ring, that makes a huge difference, and, and uh, you know, I, the Van Terminator clearing the whole ring up in the air and then drop kicking a chair into someone's face, um, that's something that's not that easy to just go up and, and jump and do, so I remember I would have liked to have landed an extra 12 inches uh, further than I did, yeah. you know what I mean, but, but eventually... Eventually, I mastered that uh, that ring, you know, like on my last run, for instance. Um, I can hit anybody anywhere from any corner, so a lot of times, for fun, I challenge myself. <laughs> it might have been because of that first jump when, when I, on Kane, when I, when I wrestled, uh, when he attacked you and Kane, but it was like, uh, you know, a lot of times I go for the furthest corner, and I, you know, someone, bam, someone takes a bump in the ring, I look around, I go for the furthest corner, and I watch their eyes open up like, oh my God, what are you doing, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally right. Do you, um, did, did you like the, uh, the whole invasion angle? Do you think that they took it as far as they could have? Uh, I wouldn't, I mean, there was pros and cons to, to it, just like with everything, you know, for me, uh, and, and because my heart was so much in ECW, I felt like, uh, we were good, could have been, could have made it on our own. It was, it was cool to be, to have the WCW, um, factor because obviously that was really huge too. But, um, eventually I kind of felt like, um, it was weird for the ECW guys to be uh, so uh, so associated with the WCW guys, and then um, and then you know they we were heels, you know, and then like even when they brought ECW back, which was years later, and I'm jumping ahead, they introduced us as heels on their show, and then give us a spinoff after everyone's booing us without nearly as much put into anything, you know, the production, the advertisement, everything. Sure. Yeah, let's see how you do. <laughs> you know, so, there's a lot of things that I would have done different. I always wonder uh, when Vince brought back ECW, if he brought it back just because the crowd was always chanting ECW, ECW. I, I almost think that he, he brought back ECW 
just so that after a year he could close it down and people would stop chanting ECW, which they have. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like almost like yeah. I wonder if it was his whole big plan overall. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you can wonder, you know, what was he thinking uh, when he did that, when he did the IFBB, when he did the football. <laughs> That's right, you know, right. When- XFL, yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, how, how was it for you coming into the WWE? Did you ever have, uh, did you did you find that, um, I mean, was your style welcomed when you first came in? Not by you. <laughs> I was, it's funny, yeah, we, we actually had a, a little bit of a, a kerfuffle. Uh, over the years, but, <laughs> a kerfuffle. <laughs> that was actually um, when what, I don't even remember what happened. I, I suggested a, a style or something like that because Vince was actually saying teach him WWE style, and I was like, there is no WWE style for him. He's he's unique. It's like I want him to do WWE style, and that's how Vince is at first. He wants us all to fit within the box. Difference is, is that you had the experience, I had the experience, Steve Austin had the experience. We all had experience to 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 work within those confines, but also make it our own. Whereas nowadays, the guys really do stick within that one little box. So I, I, that's the reason why that happened. Yeah, um, I don't think I can fit into a, a regular box, and it's probably held me back. It definitely has held me back in certain ways, but it also it's gotten me ahead in certain ways. So. Who am I to say what could have been different if I took a different fork in the road somewhere? But um, sure, you know, I, because I'm not um, a what someone has as a pre-notion in their mind, you know, for uh, to fit anything. I, I think for sure that um, you know, one, I don't think any but any agent promoter in the business has ever really got me except for Paul. Maybe mm-hmm. that's just because of the way that he talks to you and makes you, like you said, feel so special. But I've always felt like he got me and that no one else ever did. They were always confused. They didn't understand, you know, exactly. But they knew that the fans reacted to me. And, and so through them, I felt like that's how I climbed every step on the ladder. I've, al- I've always felt that way. But I've also always felt like I could only probably get so high because of that, because uh, because well, of, you know, what, what the uh, people on top have in mind. You know, they used to always want to make me get angry when I first came in, too. Like, after I've been there, well, I don't know if you remember this night or not, um, but you and I were doing something uh, where you had, the, uh, you had the belt, and I was coming out to, uh, and I, I, I attacked you, I dropped you, um, frog, frog splash you, and take the belt or throw the belt on you or, or something like that. All day, everyone's coming up trying to get me angry. You know, be angry, be angry. You know, just be angry, 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 angry. And uh, even you, like, you came up a few times and said some stuff, you know, that really pissed me <laughs> off. And I was so fired up. I went out there and, you know, and I don't even know what I, you know, I think I forgot to grab the belt or maybe I, I don't know what, I forgot I think so. I think I forgot to grab the belt or whatever. But when I get that fired up, it takes me uh, three, four hours to, come to calm down. down. Yeah, it really does. Like I'm not one of those people that has like a wide range of emotion that can get. Re- I don't get that. You know, like if someone cuts me off in the road or fli- and then flips me off, and if it really gets me mad, you know, I don't know. I'm not one of those people that could just you know screw. When people flip me off, it, when they do that, I'm like, don't they? How can they get that mad? And <laughs> 
not think they've crossed the line where something violent could happen. I don't know. Because when I'm that angry, something violent could happen. I remember that was another thing. It was like, get him, get, get, get him mad, get him mad. And I remember I told you, hey, man, pretend that you, that you came home and you found me, uh, like, uh, in bed with your wife yeah, you or something. Imagine I hit on Sonia or something. Yeah, like. yeah, I hit on your wife or something like that. And you're like, rawr. But I mean, and that's that's the WWE. I mean, that's how Vince works. I mean, everybody that's ever come, and believe me, you weren't the only one. I went through it a million times, maybe not worse, but I went through the same thing you did in that everybody, and that includes Guerrero, that includes Benoit, that includes Austin Foley, all of us. If you came into the WWE, there was always some sort of molding that Vince insisted on doing, even if you were completely fine. That's just how how he works in that company. So everybody goes through it, and either you you succeed or you don't. And obviously, you succeeded huge because the crowd went nuts for you for years and years and years. Even when you were supposed to be a heel, you never were really a heel because they loved you too much. Yeah, and I had and I had some adjustments to do. Absolutely. Um, I was always told that I adjusted the best out of everybody else that came in through the uh, through the invasion angle, and a lot oh, of those absolutely. guys, a lot of ECW guys, got dropped off, you know, one by one. Um, but you know, now uh, now I understand that I what they what the adjustments that I made for the most part just made me so much more well rounded. And when I see other wrestlers that haven't been there. There's such a huge gap um, in, like, they could be great wrestlers, like, like some guys in, in TNA. Not, I mean, they got some great talent that could easily step up. But some of the guys, when I was there, I could just tell that they haven't been in WWE specifically because, you know, you get a little bit from everywhere you go. You wrestle in Mexico, you wrestle in Japan, you wrestle in Europe, whatever. You get, you know, if you wrestle like their style, you, you, you get a little bit from everything and, and you, and you gotta, the more well-rounded you are, the more obviously you can adjust. And there's mm-hmm. certain guys that just don't get certain things. And I see it, but they don't see it. And so then, you know, they, but they don't, I used to be in that same boat. I didn't see it. I didn't think I needed it. Looking back, uh, it's so important, not, not just as one extra uh, ingredient to throw in, but as the main one, because come on, they're the top. They're always going to be the top. Yes. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of their style, you know, that has to do with, uh, you know, showcasing each move more sometimes than going bing, 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 because the fans aren't going to understand it if you do 100 moves. Some fans will, and they're the ones that always fight for it. Say, no, Ring of Honor's the best, but come on, who's drawing the big crowd? Yes, well, and, that, and that's the thing. Like All of us, I mentioned, that have gone through that, we all ended up as better workers and more well-rounded, more well-rounded workers, and I think that's why uh, Vince came to me to talk to you, because he knew we were friends, and also I had been through the same thing. And that's, I mean, there's no doubt about it, as, 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 as uh, frustrating as it can be sometimes, working in the WWE and learning the quote-unquote WWE style does make you a better performer uh, in a lot of ways, for sure. And that happened to you even to the point where you won the WWE Championship at the, at the ECW One Night Only pay-per-view. Now tell us about that, because that crowd went insane when you won that title. Yeah, uh, obviously another very pivotal night in my career Never would have happened if I hadn't changed the entire playing field by going to Vince with the idea to bring ECW back. Oh, that was your idea? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I went to Vince, and I was just, I was like, man, have you ever thought about doing a a pay-per-view, just a reunion of uh, ECW guys? And he was like, 
And I thought for sure that he was just going to say, well, this is why I don't do that. But instead, he said, well, no, I've never thought of that, Rob. Uh, I think maybe I could make a lot of money with that. Really? And then I was like, oh, my God, dude. What is there? If there's even a possibility that I can get him to do this, this would be like the greatest night ever. And uh, so the next day, I went to him with a big list. I said, because I didn't think he had to bring anybody else in. You know, I'm like, dude, listen, you don't even have to you don't have to put a lot of production into it. Just let us do our thing. Uh, you've already got all these guys working for you that were ECW alumni. You know, you got Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Ray Mysterio, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, you know, the Dudleys. And he was just, you know, I gave him this huge list and he was like, wow, well, well thank you, Rob. Yeah, that's great. And so, you know, I went to Spike Dudley. Spike, you do an ECW pay-per-view if we did one, right? He goes, it ain't going to happen. I said, no, no, I think, I think I got Vince interested in doing it. He goes, Come on, Rob. It's not going to happen. No, no, no. But if it, if it was, you know, that Taz, would you do it? Taz said no. His, he wasn't in condition to wrestle anymore. I was like, well, okay. Well, we got Mike Awesome. We got this guy. And, yeah, so I was so excited. And then, and then Paul, you know, jumped on it and fed it all this energy. And he'd call me every week uh, with all these, uh, um, you know, well, this is what's going on. You know, they got all these stupid ideas that I got to turn down. <laughs> Probably going to be able to turn down eight of them. We'll have to do two of them. And no, what about this? You know, and, and then bam, we had the night. And um, I was really bummed because I couldn't wrestle because I had had knee surgery. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I was there on uh, with a leg brace, and I think I had crutches. You know, and I was it was really heartbreaking. So um, bam, next year we're doing it again. We must have made some money. This is going to be like an annual thing. And we're launching a whole new uh, ECW brand as a third show. Holy crap. I couldn't have been happier. <laughs> we did a show going into it that was SmackDown versus ECW. I wrestled Rey Mysterio. Got to bring the chair in. Monkey flip him on the chair. Do all these out-of-the-box moves that I love thinking of. And I was so happy. I was like, man, I could wrestle another you know, 50 years like this. Man, this is great. You know, and then uh, we did that. Uh, we did the one night stand, and that's why, with all that momentum, I was the right guy to represent ECW going in to uh, kickstart um, a whole new brand. You know, and, and all this, bam! RVD beats John Cena. I got the WWE strap, uh, ECW strap, and you know, it was uh, it was on a, a lesser watch network. There was a lot less put into it, less cameras, less everything. We were doing small arenas uh, <laughs> with not much advertisement budget, but I was out there artistically. I was happy and motivated. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is Talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. Got RVD. He had just... Oh, your sponsors are cool. <laughs> They're very cool. They're very cool. We uh, we were just talking to RVD. He had just won the WWE Championship. And then, what, about two weeks later, you get pulled over on the side of the road and busted for having some uh, some marijuana on you. Is that, is that, is, where were you when that happened? I don't, I don't know if it was two weeks. Was it really that quick? I don't know. Two weeks, a month. It was fairly, it was fairly quickly, I believe. 
Yeah, it was yeah, it was fairly quick. Uh and uh yeah, um Sabu and I were in Hanging Rock, Ohio and got pulled over for speeding and uh you know, I mean there's a lot so many people hit me up afterwards on email or whatever. Dude, that's a that's a speed trap, man. It drops down right there, they hang out there. Um, whatever. It, it really was, you know, not their not the police officer's fault. <laughs> and I really wasn't that careful driving uh, like when I have the right forum to tell stories, <laughs> you know, about how careless I've been over my entire adult life with certain things, you know, right. it's a surprise that uh, a lot more uh, hasn't come out of it. But uh, this particular night, got pulled over for speeding, the car reeked, and in the center console they found 18 grams, 18 grams. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what the crowd was chanting that night in Philadelphia. So that's how much I know they got. Uh, well, I mean, let's talk about about marijuana and you know, eighteen grams. So you, so what did you get put in jail, or did you get a fine, or, or a slap on the wrist? I mean, what is eighteen grams even even worth when you get caught with it? Well, uh, at the time, and in Ohio, um, it was a um, it, it was an offense that was just taken care of by us. Uh, paying bail, we had to go back to a court and then pay a ticket. Okay. Um, so I mean, it was you know it was a, it was some effort. Uh, you know, had to go go back there and had to involve lawyers and and pay some money. Uh, there was, but there was no time served. There's nothing um, on the record. Which afterwards, when WWE was going to Canada, they were they were all freaked out that I wouldn't be able to get into Canada, and I had to explain to them that's not how this works, and and uh, and they wanted me to like pay some extra premium or something to make sure I could get in, and it was you know a little bit of a hassle. Um, it, it's it's my only. Uh, public bust that, you know, that, everybody, uh, that everybody knows about. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I mean, obviously um, I ended up, uh, I was suspended for 30 days from the WWE, so I could no longer keep the championship belts. Uh, ECW and WWE belts were then um, wow. dropped by RVD, picked up by the other guy. Oh, broke my heart in Philadelphia when uh, Paul had to, Paul turned on me and counted and Big Show pinned me and the crowd was, in Philly, they were all throwing their drinks in, and you know, and I was like, oh, I felt, I, I felt like I really dropped the ball. It wasn't like a real happy moment for me. Yeah. But, but now, in the bigger picture, looking back at it, it's not something that, like, I've had people apologize for me, and I get offended by that. You know, they, Roz made some mistakes. He's sorry. Hey, we, we've all made mistakes. You know, and uh, you know, I definitely could have uh, been more careful anyway, uh, but. Looking back at what it did, uh, I'm very happy to be one of those figures that's associated, one of those successful people that are associated with cannabis because there's so much against it and has been since 1937 when they outlawed it. Uh, Harry Anslinger and William Randolph Hearst did this smear campaign and told everyone that everyone afraid of it. It's going to drive them crazy and make them violent and murderous. And and really, uh, a lot of that has never been undone. I mean, in, in 1970, Nixon uh, put cannabis in a Schedule One category when he created the uh, Controlled Substance List. Category One is the most dangerous drugs: hmm. heroin, acid. Marijuana is in there, saying the most dangerous and harmful drug. But now, 
Hey, and they haven't changed that, by the way. That's still the, the guide, because the feds protect the guidelines. The DEA is, isn't there to accept new information. They're there to protect uh, and regulate the rules the way uh, that they were set up in, in, since 1970. And that's what people don't know. Their job is to protect what they've already got. But all this new information is coming in. Um, a lot of people that don't smoke, they know somebody that smokes, and the chances are that person might not be crazy and violent. And uh, who knows, maybe that person is an a-hole, you know, but <laughs> there's, there's successful people in all kinds of different industries and trades um, in the athletic world, in the entertainment world, doctors, lawyers, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of uh, former police officers that come forward and join the activation groups, and they're all helping change the perception. We have 20 states that have medicinal marijuana programs and the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., yet the federal government says it's non-medicinal. That's why it's a schedule one. Absolutely no medicinal value, but 20 states uh, actually use it, and there's so many more states that are, almost every state, almost, is trying to adopt a medical marijuana program. We have two states that have legalized it recreationally, yeah. like alcohol. Anyone 21 or over in Colorado or Washington, you want some cannabis? Fine. It's safer than alcohol. It's safer than cigarettes. Cigarettes kill one out of five Americans, which, uh, to break it down to smokers, one out of two long-term smokers die from the cigarettes. What wow. does that do? Does me and you are smoking cigarettes in our whole life? One of us statistically is dead from it. If you died from the, the toxic level of the marijuana you smoked, you'd be the first in the history of the planet. So we're learning a lot about it, and we're learning about all these therapeutical benefits. You know, it used to be glaucoma. That was the big joke. Oh, you better have glaucoma. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah, now we're learning all kinds of, of how it fights off uh, cancer cells, and we've always known about relieving, uh, relieving stress. That's an obvious one. But they're, they're so, the NFL is actually looking into a study that I've been trying to get Chris Nowinski to do for years, which is uh, what effect cannabis could have to fight off the uh, long-term concussion uh, syndrome. And, and that's because cannabis has been shown to, um, uh, to, to dissuade the formation of proteins uh, hmm. on, on, your, on your brain, information highways that cause Alzheimer's. Cannabis has been shown... Uh, to be a fighter of Alzheimer's, which is great. And a lot of the Alzheimer's symptoms are similar to what concussions can do to your brain. And I've always told Chris, hey, there could be something here. Maybe, you know, smoking cannabis and getting 500 concussions and then not having long-term um, damage, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's something there. And uh, he's, he actually told me how the studies, uh, how it would come about, about getting fundings and all that. The NFL is considering doing that. And there's a huge, huge list. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, I, I don't throw this out there often because it's kind of like a cheap, easy card to throw out there. Mm -hmm. But uh, the fact is, uh, my wife <clears throat> had stage three cancer and used cannabis to help fight off the wow. uh, the, the sickening uh, symptoms the, the that nausea. came from therapy treatment. Wow, really? That's and it's amazing to me what you just mentioned. You, you said a lot there. Because first of all, you remember that, that stupid movie Reefer, Reefer Madness from the fifties, where they were actually like it was like this public service movie where people were going insane from smoking marijuana. That all came from a smear campaign in the thirties, is what you're saying? Yeah, so Harry Anslinger was the head of the DEA. Uh, we, we didn't have DEA back then. It was called the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, 
and uh, it was his mission to to destroy cannabis. Wow. A lot of it was racial because the you know blacks and Mexicans were mostly ones that were smoking and jazz singers and all this. But William Randolph Hearst, who ran the newspapers, printed all this stuff, and now Reefer Madness is a comedy. We look at it and laugh yeah, it's a joke. Off. Back in the day, they believed that. Yeah, that was that was that, that's why it is so funny because they made it completely straight. Now, now we're up to the point where you said there's 20 states that have uh, medicinal marijuana. Did did the marijuana help Sonia? Is she is she is the cancer in remission right now? Yes, it is. She's That's uh, great. five years in remission. Wow. Uh, stage three, uh, if you're not familiar with cancer, which I wasn't before this happened, this totally blindsided me. I couldn't have known less about it, you know, yeah. uh, at the time. So stage three is very, very advanced. It's, you know, there's only one more stage. But she went through the chemotherapy, and she never lost any of her hair. Wow. And you look at her now, she looks great. Like, you'd never know she went through this. It's been gone for five years. And, you know, she would be plugged into this machine for days at a time that's pumping toxin, toxic poison into her body to, to kill the, the cells. And uh, when she would make her sick and she would throw up. And every time she's ever gotten sick and thrown up, you know, from, from that or from some kind of hormonal issues or whatever, you know, uh, if she fires up uh, some, uh, some cannabis, which is medicinal, it absolutely is, uh, bam, it goes away, she feels better. There's many, 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 many people like her uh, everywhere. Uh, when she went to City of Hope, which is a large cancer research center here, we went to a dietary meeting, um, and, and we're listening to all these, vic- all these people wasting away. A lot of them are really old, some are young. They're all in this room, and there's a lady giving a speech about how to try to eat more. And someone raised their hand, and they said, you know, what can I do if I'm just, you know, I just can't... I feel like I got no appetite. I, I'm just sick, you know, but I'm wasting away. And the lady said, just try really hard. You know, you can, you can like sprinkle protein powder on your food and get more. You know, if you don't like that, use evaporated milk that has some protein and sprinkle that on there and, and just try. And I was just like, what the heck? I couldn't <laughs> believe. So I raised my hand. I said, what about medicinal marijuana? She says, thank you. A lot of patients have gotten great results from trying medicinal marijuana. I'm not allowed to bring it up. But since huh. you brought it up, um, yeah, you know, we can, we can talk about it. What kind of policy is that for the city of hope to have here in right. California where it's been legal since 1996? It's all politics, and that's the reason it's prohibited. So many people get half of the equation, and they say to me, Rob, Man, why don't they just legalize it and get and they'll get so much money off the tax revenue? Yes. However, there's the other side of the equation. The reason that it's prohibited, the total reason that it's prohibited, is because there's so many big conglomerate companies that get rich off of prohibition. Hmm. So we have to look at the fact they're going to be losing money when we legalize it completely, which we will. In uh, 2016, we're going to have uh, uh, at least seven states with recreational uses like alcohol. 2017, um, at least 12. That's what the polls are showing and the polls are always right that's what the voters want so why why, why have colorado and washington legalized and the other states haven't um it's because it, you know it used to be legal before 37 and then they finally passed you know state by state a lot of states it, it um made it illegal uh but the federal law came then and since then it's and then and since you know they, they've been fighting uh to keep the rich richer it's always been a slow unraveling of this big knot, and they fight to hold that knot together. Uh, prisons are one of the biggest 
biggest uh, profited businesses that are going to lose when, when we legalize marijuana. They're not going to be able to make money off of arresting people for a plant anymore. Oh. They're going to lose out big time. So is alcohol, tobacco, pharmaceuticals. And if we start using hemp for everything that hemp can do, it's the most resourceful seed on the planet. There's, there's thousands of things we can do with hemp that could replace a lot, a lot of things out there. Fuel, for instance. Uh, I read a story that, that Rockefeller was behind marijuana prohibition because he didn't want it to uh, affect fuel sales because they used to use hemp seed oil to burn in lanterns and stuff back in the day, which, and Henry Ford wanted to make it so everybody could have a still in their own backyard and, and make their own fuel, and then he wanted to, yeah, he made a car that ran on hemp seed oil, and the car was made out of hemp, and he, he introduced it to the world wow. there, um, and they ended up, you know, uh, going another way, and nylon had just gotten a patent, and they were moving, moving away from the earth-friendly stuff back then, this was in the, you know, early 40s, but the thing was made out of hemp, it ran on hemp seed oil, and we were going to have stills in our backyard so we could self-supply, and uh, the rich don't want that. I mean, the guys that profit on our misery, uh, that's the way that our government, sadly, is set up. Wow, it's, it's a real conspiracy, because it's funny, I pulled up some stats, and you look at the pros and cons, and the, pro, the cons, you know, low doses of marijuana can impair driving motor skills, long-term study, it makes people, you know, lose IQ points. That's basically what alcohol does, yet alcohol is completely legal. I don't smoke marijuana, but I, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't, it shouldn't be legalized if alcohol is legalized. It's pretty much the, the same thing, but alcohol is way worse. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's it, it's it's what, what's sad. Not really sad, but it's just the fact. Uh, if, if we can get people just to admit, like Obama did recently, that uh, marijuana is not worse than alcohol, that's like a huge step for us that really know. But the fact is, it's way, way, way safer. Look up the statistics on how many people alcohol kills directly. Just, just. From having the alcohol in their body, it's yeah. like uh, it's, over, it's over seventy thousand uh, a year just here in America alone with cannabis. You, you could smoke pounds of it, which you wouldn't be able to do, um, you know, within a short amount of time. And, and the worst thing that would happen would be maybe you'd fall asleep. By the way, Mayor Laguardia, way hungry. back in the 40s, Mayor Laguardia in the forties was uh, one of the first guys known to refute the claims that uh, Anslinger had made. Anslinger wanted New York to, uh, you know, to prohibit cannabis. He said, "Well, I want to do my own study on it. You know, if I'm going to do that." They gave him the they gave him the bud. He did this study and he came back and said, "It's not dangerous. You're crazy." Mm. He said, "It doesn't. There's no evidence, you know, that it's addictive or, or, that, it, or that you know, kids are." Uh, increasingly uh, using it. It doesn't change. It doesn't cause violence. If you smoke so, so a lot of it, it might possibly uh, make you go to, uh, fall asleep. So H- Anslinger buried LaGuardia's report and stopped all, um, he stopped the government from ever giving Bud up to be studied again. And that's been the problem. There's been so many lawsuits over it. And you can't, you can't, you can't study Bud um, because you can't grow it, and, and they won't give it to you. But that's that's in the process right now of changing. I swear we're at an interesting time right now where, where just like, you know, in 1933 they saw uh, alcohol prohibition come to an end. Mm-hmm. We're at that stage with cannabis. Like right here in, in these years right now, we're going to be seeing um, a major change, and it's going to affect a lot of people that, you know, like to just say, druggy. <laughs> you know, stoner. 
<laughs> well, I mean, you mentioned um, that in 2016, seven states, I believe you said, are going to be legalized. Yes. What What is the uh, where did you get that information from? Is it like do they have a, do they have a vote or something or? Yeah, it, it's polls. They poll the voters to show uh, what the what the voters want. 2016 is the next election year, and then 2017. Gotcha. And that's when they're that's when they're going to be uh, the process of, uh, of getting on the ballot and getting approved, um, and, and then actually you know going going through the steps uh, is something that, that for years it takes being turned down. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? In California, uh, we tried Prop 19. I went to the college and spoke for it several years ago. It got shut down. 2016, it's going through. It's not going to be Prop 19. They're going to fix some of the problems that. Uh, some of the Californians had with it, but it, California is one of those states in 2016, and Nevada and Hawaii. We're going to have a recreational usage 21 years or over. By the way, Uruguay recently uh, became the first country in the entire planet where cannabis is completely legal. Every citizen, uh, you're allowed like um, you're allowed a certain amount. I think maybe like 40 grams a, a, a month, something like that, and uh, and it's it's for every every uh, adult citizen. So they're they're really doing a lot in moving forward. Are you like um, I'm not sure exactly if it's like the marijuana you know uh, Institute of America or whatever. Are you like an official spokesperson for the? I mean for for yeah, the for MPP. I am I am for MPP, the Marijuana Policy Program. Go to mpp.org. Okay, uh, that's my favorite one. A couple other well-known ones are Normal, um, you know, the National Organization for the Reformation of Marijuana Laws. And then out here, there's also uh, America's for Safe Access, also known as ASA. Those three are the top advocators. And if it wasn't for them, uh, the, the evil agenda would win because they, based mostly on donations, have lobbyists. Uh, they actually put budgets together and run commercials to counter the uh, the other commercials, you know, which which do outright lie. I mean, it's easiest during the argument for the opposition to just include cannabis as another vice, or like the federal government has done, throw it in there with all drugs like heroin and acid. By the way, a Schedule Two, which means actually better for you than marijuana, is where you'll find um, meth and cocaine. Oh wow! Okay, there you go. Um, you mentioned. I mean, uh, obviously, do you think that um, the the amount of mar- cannabis that you've you know imbibed has helped you with your career as far as keeping you uh, injury basically injury free? As far as I've known, you. I don't remember you ever being injured having to take time off. Well, uh, who's to say? You know, right. I, I am a Superman. <laughs> um, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I use it for a lot of purposes. I've written stories that have been, um, you know, in the uh, in the trade magazines like Cannabis Culture about all the benefits that an athlete uh, can experience if they use cannabis uh, to block out anxieties, to focus, to deal with uh, pains. Um, and any basically negative energy of your body, you know, if, if you're sick, whatever, it can put you, it can put you in your best position where you're, where you're vibrating, where your spiritual vibration is at its highest, utmost frequency, which means you're at your best. And I've written extensively uh, describing all of that, you know, uh, for me and my injuries. You know, like I say, who's to say when people ask what I attribute my, my. Um, uh, endur- uh, in- yeah, endurance, longevity. Okay, I, I say one. Most likely, I have good genetics from my parents because I think that's the sure. first 
I think that's the first factor with everything. And then also, as you know, I'm a stretchaholic. Yeah, you were doing stretches, a.k.a. basically yoga-type exercises, years and years and years and years ago for 30, 45, an hour before matches, and that definitely helps for sure. And I still do, and I can't feel like I'm at my best unless I go through my complete routine. It's a body check of every single body part, bending it every single which way. It's uh, it's a circulation mm. thing, getting my blood and yes, my chi flowing through <laughs> my body, uh, and and you know it's it. I just feel great after I stretch. DDP years ago uh, was influenced by watching me stretch, and look what he's doing now with DDP yoga. He's awesome. By the way, he's going to be on Shark Tank, and I'm stoked to see it because I love that show. That's right. Yeah, he's going to be on Shark Tank. I want to see that too. And actually, that's one of the reasons why I was able to continue my career was completely due to DDP yoga. And I always thought about you as I started getting into stretching because I never stretched ever and used to take pride in it like an idiot. And now for the last two years, like you said, I don't feel my best unless I've done some yoga. And that was apparent in the match that we had in the Barclays Center in July. Both of us, uh, you know, were in, in you know great form. Uh, you were there for another three months. Do you do you have plans to go back to, to wrestling at all at any point, or are you just taking it easy and see what happens? Well, I plan on doing another run, but at this time, I don't have any information on when that would be. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's that's like the number one most cliched question, right? When are you going back to wrestling? I get yeah, that. I can't. You know, I mean, people will hit me on Twitter all day with that and think, you know, I'm being a I'm being a jackass for not responding to them. But I can't ask that every time someone asks. Yes, know? exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, when I'm going back. I, you know, uh, I, I'd like to be in Mania, obviously, you know, and then uh, there's Extreme Rules coming up, you know, and uh, who knows? You never know, right? Exactly. Let me ask you one more question. Fa- gun to head, favorite match of all time? Uh, of mine? Yes, your favorite match of all time that you were in. It's hard uh, to choose guess, one. Uh, see, my brain goes two different ways. Uh, artistically, Jerry Lynn... Uh, but career-wise, that match with John Cena at one night stand because uh, there was so much going into that and coming out of it, not just for me, but for ECW. Yeah, and it was it was a great reaction too. I remember I'll never forget the one sign: "If Cena wins, we riot." That's the first time yeah, I'd ever seen that. Everybody remembers that. <laughs> Rob. I got famous. Rob, it's been great talking to you, man, and very informative on the legalization of marijuana and also about your whole career. And so it was great to reconnect with you in the summertime and even more so on this show today and on Wednesday. Yeah, cool, man. I appreciate it. And I'm always happy to uh, – I pay attention to different things in life than other people pay attention to. So <laughs> we gotta we got to share information when we have it. Uh, I, I use RobVanDam.com for a hub for everything if people want to – go there to get my twitter or facebook page or see the podcast i do or anything it's all right there it's also also you're the first guy i ever knew that had a website back in 97 i remember i i, I said to my friend we got to create a website rob van dam has one so you've always been very uh very much pro social media and always setting trends too <laughs> one of a kind man one of a kind <laughs> thanks rob we'll talk to you soon my friend Talk to you real soon. Have you ever looked around at guys who wear their button-down shirt untucked? The shirt tails are hanging down. It looks really sloppy. Well, untuckit.com has solved that problem. How amazing is this? This shirt is made especially for us who like to wear our shirts untucked. It's just more comfortable to wear your shirt untucked, unless you're wearing a suit or tuxedo, right? There's a time and place for everything. That's what I always say, huh? So anyways, untuckit.com has designed shirts that are the perfect length to leave untucked. I mean, I've been waiting for this for years. They're not too long. They're not too short. They fall right in the middle of the fly. 
so that part of your pant pocket is still exposed. That's the perfect length. GQ has endorsed these shirts. They're made in America, and chicks dig the look. Hell, I dig the look. So visit untuckit.com and use the promo code Jericho to get 15% off all purchases. Untuckit.com also offers free shipping. Just go to untuckit.com, U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com, and use the promo code Jericho for 15% off. Go check it out now. All right, it's time to go to the phones. As always, I posted the number on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho. So pay attention. You never know when your chance is going to come to give us a call and tell us what you want to know. We got Eddie from Los Angeles calling right now. Edward, how you doing, man? What's up, Chris Jericho? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I always love when people have to call me by both names. What's up, Chris Jericho? You can call me Chris. <laughs> Go ahead. Honestly, I'm a little nervous, but um, don't be nervous. It's okay. It's no problem, man. It's all, all good. Right. All right. What's going uh, on? What's your question? Do you think John Cena should still be the face of the WWE? I personally can't stand him. Well, I mean, the thing about John is he's got. Uh, longevity there in that position and he does a lot of stuff for that company i mean he's exactly what what vince likes as far as a a guy who's gonna be the face of the company attitude wise he does exactly what vince wants he's there for all of the press conferences and press releases he's the most marketable guy they have i think he's probably the most well-known name i know know he just crossed the 20 million uh, followers on facebook or 20 million likes on facebook so i mean my question is you know who would you put in there to take his place and obviously you can start grooming guys now but it's not so easy just to replace somebody as the face of the company. You know, and who, who would you like to see as the face of the company? Like, I understand your points, right? Um, right now, I'd say Daniel Bryan, right? Obviously. But I really felt like in 2011, they missed out on CM Punk. Okay, but you're saying right now Daniel Bryan, obviously. Now, why, why do you say obviously? Because uh, he's the most over guy. I mean, he's relatable. He's arguably their best worker. He's wrestled everywhere. He's paid his dues. It's just like okay. everyone well, loves them. I, I see your I see your point on that, but here's 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 the interesting thing to keep in mind. There's a difference between being really legitimately over, where you're moving pay per view buy rates and moving TV ratings, and being somebody that's that's fun to watch and fun to chant. I mean, you can chant yes no matter what. It's a fun thing to do. Not necessarily mean it's going to translate into business. Now, I'm not saying he couldn't get that to that point, but there is a process to get there. John Cena didn't come in as the face of the company either. It took him two or three or four years before he finally was, uh, before the bosses had the confidence to give him that. So, in time, Daniel Bryan could be the face of the company. There's no doubt about it. I mean, CM Punk could be the face of the company, but, you know, the WWE is the way that it is. And until somebody proves that they can sell more merch than John Cena, who's still number one, can still do better pay per view buy rates than John Cena, who's still I'd number like one. The merch. What's that? After your point, I'd like to talk about the merch. Well, in what way? Okay, so I feel like WWE, they're literally trying to hold back Daniel Bryan in terms of the merch. They advertise him as a goat, and honestly, like, I'm 18 years old, right? Uh-huh. And, like, you've seen all those goat shirts. I can't imagine anyone past, like, the age of 12, and that's completely how they market him. And I feel like they should well, market him as a wrestler. But let me tell you something, though, dude. This is the way it works. You know who has the final say on every T-shirt that gets released is the guy himself. There was never a T-shirt ever that I released that I didn't design or have some kind of uh, input in the design of it or – give approval to it. And so if, if those t-shirts aren't good, 
then Daniel has to step in and give more ideas. Maybe I don't know. Like I said, I'm just I'm, I'm being the devil's advocate here. Is yeah. is Daniel super over? Of course he is. Is he a great worker? He's one of my favorites. I said that a year and a half ago. I'm just saying when it comes to being the face of the company, sometimes it's not that easy because if you look at the history of the WWE, there's been four guys in my opinion who were legitimately, legitimately the faces of the company: Hulk Hogan, um, yeah, The Rock, Steve Austin, and John Cena. And and there's nobody else that even touches those four in that category. So until you can get a new guy that can kind of take that over, Cena's going to be there for 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 you know for the duration. So, but I, I I see your point and I appreciate your call and we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Maybe maybe next year at this time you can call me back, Eddie, and go All see right. Jericho. I told you, ha ha. All right, okay. thanks thanks for the call, Eddie. All right, thank you for answering. Next on the line, we got Mike calling from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I used to live there. Where do you live at, Mike? We're in Vancouver. Hey, Jericho. How's it going, man? Good, man. Where do you live in Vancouver? Whereabouts? What part of town? Delta. Delta. All right. I used to live in English Bay, right downtown, eh? What's going on, oh, Mike? Nice. I'm just um, starting my wrestling career, man. I started in about December. I'm just looking for uh, words of advice from the champ. Well, um, did, who, who did you train with? I'm in ECCW. Who's the trainer? Scotty Mack. Okay, well, the one thing you have to think about is when you're learning how to wrestle is who's training you. And is it someone that you know of? Is it someone that has, has some notoriety, someone who's been around? Because the most important thing when you start wrestling is the foundation, is the basics, is, is how do you, um, you know, you can't build a house without having a very strong foundation. And all the other stuff is window dressing on top of that. So if you like, uh, you know, the, the trainer that you have, that, that's all great. If I was in Canada, Canada personally, I would go to Calgary and go to Lance Storm's wrestling school a proven name you know in the business that you know can actually work and can actually train but on top of that uh you just have to you, you have to understand that the business is not easy to get into it's the best business in the world it's a great job but you have to have the tenacity and the courage to to not give up and don't expect it to be easy now have you uh, how long have you been training for I started in December, and I kind of messed up my shoulder, so I took a bit of time off, like a few weeks, and now I'm back in it full circle. So, so I'm um, doing the basics right now, like chain wrestling, leapfrogs, drop down, stuff like that. Right. How, how often do you go to, to camp? I try and go on the weekdays at least once, and then I'm there Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Well, like I said, you need to learn slowly but surely. Make sure you get your basics right. Learn how to bump properly. Uh, don't do anything too fancy at first. It doesn't matter if you can do a backflip if you don't know how to do a headlock. It's the most important thing is get a good foundation. And if you have, you know, if you save up a couple bucks and you work for a little bit, I would suggest you go to Lance Storm School uh, at some point over the next few years. But on, you know, on top of that, once you once you get to the point where you can start having matches, work as many places as you can, as much as you can, wherever you can, and don't expect to make lots of money. I mean, my first couple matches, I got paid with a hot dog and a glass of orange juice. So and, okay. it, and it wasn't even an Oscar Mayer. It was a, it was a crappy hot dog. So <laughs> keep that in mind, man. But but best of luck to you, and uh, just keep training. And and like I said, don't give up. If you really want to do this and you think you can do it, don't give up. That's the best advice I can give you. All right, thanks a lot, Jericho. I love training with ECCW boys. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you listening to the show. And uh, like I said, good luck, man. And thanks to all of you for linking to Amazon through the Talk Is Jericho page at podcastone.com. Every time you do your shopping that way, Amazon kicks back a little cash to this show so I can keep bringing you the pot of thunder.
the remedy for boredom, the people's podcast. Man, I got a lot of uh, catchphrases going on here. I like it. I like it. I keep bringing it to you, though, twice a week for free, Wednesday and Friday, the two best days of the week by Cracky. And thanks for hitting that download button. In fact, if you like what you're hearing, and how could you not with such comedy as this, tell a friend to check out the show Tell them to tell two friends, and so on and so on. It's like a shampoo commercial from the 70s, dated reference. I don't care. It's my show. You can even hit that subscribe button at iTunes so you never miss an episode. It comes directly to your device as soon as we go live. So do it now, people! And we'll see you next week. We've got so many great guests coming up. I don't even know who's coming up next. i got so many to choose from, but I promise, if I had them on my show, you're going to love it. Or else. Stay cool, stay hungry, stay hard. God bless you. See you next week. Yeah, boy! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.